welcome to the Shoulder Physio Podcast, a podcast dedicated to exploring meaningful topics in musculoskeletal healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Powell. Before we begin, the primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The views expressed in this podcast by myself and any guests are information only, do not constitute professional advice and are general in nature. If you act on the basis of any podcast episode, you should obtain specific advice from a qualified health professional before proceeding. Hello. So before we get into the meat of today's discussion, I thought I would take a few minutes to give you a life update. Since the airing of episode 18 in August 2022, that was my last episode with Tasha Stanton, I've moved my family a few hours north of the Gold Coast. This is largely a lifestyle move to escape the increasingly hectic and chaotic Gold Coast. I still do love the Gold Coast, but the time has come for a move. Because I have gone to a more regional location in Queensland, where I even have some banana plants in my backyard, I know how cliche is that. And the learning curve has been steep trying to cultivate and maintain these banana plants. But I can tell you, the bananas taste bloody amazing. So because I have gone more regional, my clinical work will shift entirely to a telehealth model. To be honest, the COVID-19 pandemic has already promulgated a change in my practice anyway, where anywhere up to 75% of my daily caseload was telehealth in nature. So changing this to 100% shouldn't be too much of an issue. The evidence base actually strongly supports the use of telehealth physiotherapy for various musculoskeletal pain presentations, which is reassuring for myself and also current and prospective patients. Head to my website, shoulderphysio.com, to book an appointment or, if you want, any more information. Today's guest is Philippe Struff. Philippe is a physiotherapist and professor hailing from Belgium. Philippe is well-published and an articulate communicator on the role of the scapula in the causation of and recovery from shoulder pain. In this episode, I asked Philippe the utility of trying to correct a scapular dyskinesis. If we happen to identify some wonky scapular movement in our physical examination. This conversation was originally recorded in June 2020 for my YouTube show on the shoulders of giants. Before we start the podcast, a quick note from our sponsor, Clinico. Clinico is a practice management software that's used by 65,000 practitioners worldwide. It's great for busy physios, which is why it's an endorsed partner of the Australian Physiotherapy Association and the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy. You'll find everything you need to run a successful physio practice in one place, like treatment notes, digital forms, online booking tools, customizable body charts, and much more. In fact, I'll be using Clinico exclusively as I shift my clinical practice to a telehealth model. And so far, setting it up has been very, very easy. Clinico meets privacy legislation for Australia, the UK, the US, and Canada. So wherever you're based, Clinico will help keep you compliant. Charitable donations and giving back are a big part of Clinico. A minimum of 2% of all Clinico subscriptions are donated charity each month which means more than 1 million Australian dollars in total has been donated since Clinico was founded. Shoulder Physio podcast listeners can get 60 days free. Signing up takes less time than this message. Visit clinico.com forward slash shoulder hyphen physio. Without any further delay, I bring to you my conversation with Philippe Struff. All right, Philippe, uh, we're back for round two of our conversation on the always controversial scapula. 
Thank you for joining me again. We had some really good feedback from our last conversation, which touched on the physical examination of the scapula as it relates to the shoulder. So welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Thanks for inviting me again to the Gold Coast or wherever you are, <laughs> something like that. It's um, always a privilege to do so, yeah. Yeah, no problem. And we we're, just, we're just speaking about this is your last media engagement prior to your summer break. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it. What, what are your plans? Have you got anything planned? Well, uh, the, the plans are a bit mixed now because we, uh, we cannot go to, uh, to uh, foreign countries uh, due to the COVID uh, story. So it will be an, in Belgium uh, uh, holiday today, but uh, this, this summer. But uh, we have some nice places in Belgium. So uh, you should visit uh, Belgium once if you can. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely I've been to Brussels train station uh, on the way to Germany or something from, from the UK. So I haven't been outside yeah. of it, but it was a beautiful train station. <laughs> okay, that's a beginning. <laughs> so uh, before we before we get into the, the theoretical stuff, um, something I've been trying to do is sort of try and reveal the personality behind the people that I talk to, and I haven't I haven't given you any preparation for this. So what do you what do you like to do in your spare time? What are some of your hobbies and recreations? What do you enjoy doing outside of being a shoulder expert? Oh wow, that's a well, it's not, not not so much a difficult question because as uh, as academics we, uh, we we don't have a lot of hobbies. We're uh, a bit of nerds in, into our uh, job, and uh, uh, but then if if we if we have some uh, some some time, there are two things that I really like to do, and that's uh, go for a walk with my dog. Uh, it's a really uh, anti-stress uh, thing, and uh, you do some uh, physical activity at the same time. Uh, so that's one thing, um, and then the other thing is uh, I'm a I'm a cyclist actually. Uh, um, you wouldn't guess that from me, probably, but I'm still <laughs> cycling, mountain biking, uh, etc., and uh, road cycling. Uh, that's uh, one of the national sports in Belgium. So uh, for us, it's uh, it's it's normal. It's like uh, uh, walking and, and and eating sandwiches. You have to cycle in Belgium. So uh, that's something we, we I like to do also. Yeah, in a, in a local uh, cafe club, but uh, it's fun. Yeah, that's my spare time. Uh, actually, cycling and uh, walking with my dog. <laughs> right, and I have that's two kids. Two kids, yeah. I'm sure they occupy some time. Yeah, they're two. They're still young. Uh, nine, or sorry, ten. It's ten since yesterday. Ten and uh, twelve. So uh, they're uh, they're grow they're growing. But uh, it's it's fun. Two daughters, and um, uh, I hope they um, make some sense in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's great. So 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 cycling, uh, cycling is such a European, well at least road cycling anyway, very uh, historical sort of leisure activity in Europe. And I think I was watching a Lance Armstrong documentary the other day and uh, his team manager, was it Johan Brunil? He was, was he, is he Belgian? Yeah, he's Belgian, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there you go. He's a, he's a famous Belgian cyclist or at least part of the Lance Armstrong story, which we won't discuss. Okay, yes. so c- cycling aside and Lance Armstrong aside, let's, uh, let's talk about the shoulder and specifically the scapula. So last time we talked about the inaccuracy and potentially biased uh, view of the scapula when we try and assess it with our vision. Our vision is historically uh, quite poor or can be poor. It can be prone to bias as any of our senses can be. So a way to offset that or troubleshoot that problem has been this the scapular assistance test has been devised. Now, the scapular 
assistance test is essentially promoting upward rotation and maybe a bit of posterior tilt of the scapula manually. So the therapist doing it or somebody else doing it. Could you speak a little bit about this scapular assistance test if you use it in your practice? And if you do, why do you use it? Yeah, that's, um, it's, it's actually maybe the best, uh, the best question um, to discuss about. This is really scapular assistance test because by discussing that test, you can, you can discuss several other things related to the scapula and to the shoulders. So, well, um, the scapula, well, we, we have several tests uh, developed, I think maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago, they were developed um, as uh, sort of uh, mod- symptom modification tests using the scapula. And uh, you got the scapular assistant test, which focused on upward rotation, and the modified scapular assistant test, which which you can push the uh, inferior angle and, and pull towards the coracoid to make some posterior tilt, together with the upward rotation. Then uh, also these tests like uh, scapular retraction test and repositioning tests, which are actually using a, a pain provocative test com- combined with retraction or uh, posterior tilt. But which but they all have the same intention, and their idea was. If you perform these tests um, and the patient's complaints reduced, well, then um, the, the scapula might play a, a big role. And um, the, the explanation for pain reduction has changed over the last 50 years. Uh, the first uh, time it was developed and published, there was times, I think it was uh, Angela Tate and uh, Philip McClure who, who published a lot on that. They, um, they said that it was all about, or mainly about the mechanism um, behind uh, in, uh, assisting or increasing upward rotation or increasing posterior tilt, uh, which would uh, be which would have an effect on the supracromial space. Uh, that was the first uh, explanation. So, if you uh, increase upward rotation, if you increase posterior tilt, then maybe the supracromial space increases, and maybe that's the reason for um, reduction in pain. And then uh, that would be a cue to uh, steer your rehabilitation towards uh, scapular training, uh, towards posterior tilt and upward rotation. So that was the, the, the main thing. It's still, that's still alive, by the way. It's not that it's uh, uh, gone, that, that uh, rationale, but it's, it's still alive. But that was one, I think, 10, 50 years ago. And then afterwards, there were also other uh, uh, ideas because, of course, uh, the whole uh, supracromial space relevance uh, is getting in some uh, debate on that. And... Um, uh, a lot of uh, studies have been published since then that really discuss the relevance of it. And then, of course, if you discuss the relevance of that, then you might also need to discuss the relevance of what are you doing with the scapular assistant test. Because if you think you're uh, doing upward rotation for increasing supracromial space, and that's the reason why patients have reduction in complaints, well, that, that doesn't really make sense if your uh, next study is, well, the supracromial space doesn't matter. Um, so this, is, this was a bit uh, conflicting. And then um, other ideas, other uh, hypotheses were developed um, to, to talk about why, why a lot of people have pain reduction. I see in my, clinical, in my clinic that a lot of patients feel better when I do the scapular assistant test. And I always are wondering why, why, why is this? Um, and there was this study that, that, that said, okay, it's ju- just because you put your hands on the, on the shoulder, you, you have some tactile uh, feedback and it feels good for the patient, feels confident. And that's, it's more like a touching effect uh, of your hands. But then the other pilot studies, uh, not, not, not big powered, but there were some studies who, who did a sham comparison. So you, you just put your hands on. You don't do the assistant. You don't do the posterior tilt. You just put your hands on. But then uh, they saw that the uh, pain-reducing effect was a lot less than, than when you really performed the test. So 
it might not be the, the touch uh, alone. Um, and then I think we're now uh, 2020, and since a few years, um, the uh, intrinsic role of the cuff is getting more and more attention. And um, I think we should definitely look at the scapular assistant test um, as um, a factor affecting the intrinsic role of the cuff. So if you, I'm going to give a, a, a very um, um, clear example, which, which might not be completely correct, but it's, a, it's I think, a good example. Um, if you move your arm with a, with a weight or, or whatever, your deltoid is, is highly active and other muscles, but your deltoid is really performing that movement. When the deltoid is performing that movement, then uh, your humeral head is challenged because the deltoid pulls on the, on the humeral head. And it's our cuff that is dynamically active to, to stabilize the humeral head during that movement. So the more activity you uh, ask from your deltoids, the more activity normally the, the rotator cuff should apply to, to get it all um, uh, at its place. But of course, if you have a lot of uh, cuff activity and you have a lot of cuff load, then this cuff attaches to the scapula and the scapula is pulled towards um, internal rotation, so the winging, um, during that activity. So the more cuff activity, then the more the scapula is challenged towards internal rotation and the more the serratus and the trapezius needs to be uh, active and strong to, to keep the scapula controlled. Because only if the scapula is controlled, then the cuff can have its perfect uh, length tension uh, relationship to, to stabilize the, the humeral head, dynamically stabilize, stabilize the humeral head. So um, the more cuff loading, the more the trapezius is challenged and, and vice versa. So I think this is a, um, a, a chain that you can hardly separate. And uh, that's why I think that might be a role for um, a cuff um, uh, problems when patients have positive assistance test. So, I mean, if, uh, if I perform a scapular assistance test and the pain, patient has pain reduction, I rather think now, uh, 10 years ago, it would be a really scapular problem. Now, I think we, we have some um, cues that might that may be um, emphasizing that it's a cuff-related cuff issue because you, you actually create a stable base, basis for the cuff and you, uh, if you do the assistant test, you really help the cuff in performing that movement. So actually, you 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 unload, you do an unloading of the cuff by performing the scapular assistant test. And if you look at it that way, then the a positive test actually tells you that if you un, if you unload the cuff and you have pain reduction, that the complaints of the patients are load related. Yeah. Would actually tells you then on the uh, again that load might be a, a preferential. Uh, uh, intervention um, towards the cuff. So that's maybe something different from uh, the, the interpretation of a few years ago, but I think that might be an interesting path to think about. Um, we also saw some um, uh, studies um, uh, relating the scapular assistant test with uh, cuff tears, for instance. So that was also a study emphasizing that uh, in case of cuff tear, that the patient had m much more positive uh, assistance tests versus the patients who did not have any uh, cuff tears. So in that was also the, the author said, okay, maybe this uh, 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 scapular symptom modification test tell you more about the cuff than it tells you about the scapula. And it definitely doesn't tell you anything about uh, scapular dyskinesis because the, the, that, that's not the, the, 
the, the thing you do with the uh, assistant or retraction test, it's the scapular dyskinesis, what we discussed uh, last time, is if, if you, you, can, you can just visually observe that in, if, if it's there. So um, you don't need the scapular assistant test for that. Um, and a positive scapular assistant test doesn't tell me anything on the scapula is the, the, the cause or, or a consequence of the problem, but it might tell you something that it's um, load related and that um, uh, incorporating, of course, the scapula in your rehabilitation program might, be, might be, benefit, be beneficial for your patients. But then there is another uh, next point where we can discuss that later is how, how do you do that? Huh? So that's my, my, my first idea on the scapular system. That's going from a supracromial space reduction story to, to touching to, well, maybe it's more about the cuff uh, uh, during that test. And we should really consider the cuff perf while performing a scapular system test. And maybe it's not the loading alone. Maybe it's also the length tension you, you, you create. Maybe it's uh, just putting the, 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 the glenoid in, a, in an, a better position biomechanically. I, I don't know. It's, it's still not really clear. Uh, maybe there are other reasons, but um, it might be more than uh, um, uh, scapular dyskinesis. In, at, at the end, it's, it's definitely, in my opinion, it's definitely not using that test to, to uh, decide whether a patient has scapular dyskinesis or not. That's, not. that's not the goal of the test, I think. Okay, that's, that's excellent. So if I, if I can just briefly summarize, and that was very well said. Yeah. So we've come a long way from the scapular assistance test as essentially meaning that there's a subacromial space issue. So now so we've, we've gone from that and then this concept of touch came into play and are we just affecting or playing with somebody's cognitions or emotions? And that still might be relevant in some people, I would say. And then they've sort of, and this is, and I agree with your point, it's, are we just offloading sensitized tissue by facilitating a movement or creating going from an active movement to an active assisted movement. And I think maybe it's a combination of all three in terms of the mechanism of action. So the problem is in, in a lot of the time in the literature, though, it's the, the suggestion is that if the scapular assistance test is positive, then we must direct our treatment at the scapula because it's a scapular dyskinesis issue. And what you've very articulately said is that, well, maybe not, maybe the problem is with a weak or, or maybe load intolerant rotator cuff complex. So, so that, is, that is a big change really from when you look at the literature. I was just looking at a paper before that I'm doing a bit, a bit of a review on from 2018 uh, by Rabin. And it says that still, the, if a scapular assistance test is positive, then the assumption is that we must go on and treat scapula. But nobody has ever done that study. Nobody has ever got, okay, here's a group of people with a positive scapular assistance test. Do those people need scapular intervention or do they just need progressive strengthening and then compare the two and follow them up? That study has not been done. So, so if, you, if you do get a scapular assistance test, and I know it may be uh, a positive scapular assistance test and it may be different for every single person, but for the average person, how would that direct your subsequent intervention would you focus on progressive loading of the shoulder well yeah well the just to come back to the to the scapular assistant test i sometimes think it's it's um it's it's really easy indeed to blame the scapula if if you do something with the scapula and the patient has pain reduction it, it, it sounds logic to do something with the scapula 
but you can also compare this with a. I sometimes compare it for my students with a. If you if you drive with drive with your car over a, a cobblestones and you really go hard, you go uh, 200 miles per hour uh, on the cobblestones and you get a flat tire. Okay, you get a flat tire, and um, then uh, you, it's easy to say, okay, how are we going to fix this problem? Your your uh, your speed is gone. You're just you're there on the on the cobblestones. And you can say, okay, what's the problem? You can, the flat tire is the problem. And uh, but actually, that that might not be the, the issue. The, the whole issue is you are speeding on on a cobblestone. Um, so that, that that's a bit the same um, discussion, I think. Yeah, okay, there is there is a flat. Okay, the the, the trapezius and the, and the serrata are letting this movement go for some reason, uh, or they can't, or they won't, or whatever. Um, but that doesn't mean that's that's the biggest issue. The, uh, that's the biggest thing. Maybe there is something else going on. Why why is this happening? Uh, for instance, the, um, I'm, I'm just thinking about the author. I think it's Manske uh, who did a study on the um, uh, or presented one of the uh, um, other uh, scapular tests, like the scapular flip sign, um, in which you, um, which is a very easy test, which you need to perform an external rotation against resistance, and then during the external rotation against resistance, you just look at the scapula, and if the scapula starts to wing, that was a positive scapular flip sign. And then the conclusion was you, you have some you have a problem at your your scapula, um, so that's that's a bit the same thing. But from the from the strength rationale, it's it's quite logic. Again, you do the external rotation, the the infraspinatus and, and and the posterior cuff, all the posterior cuff and the deltoids are working a lot, and uh, of course they, they pull on the on the scapula. And maybe in these patients, uh, the the traps and the and the serratus, they don't have the strength or they won't want to have the strength. Or you need this, the internal rotation for uh, sufficient cuff activity, and the and the serratus, and they just do don't do anything just to fix to fix the, the, the issue. Whatever your attention is uh, went to the to the scapula. Okay, that's just something on the on the assistance test again. Uh, then your last sorry, your last question on the when when I have a positive tests in clinical practice. Yeah, so so when you have the positive test. Do you, you, and you touched on this a moment ago, do you take this as a sign that you need to increase the strength or the capacity of the rotator cuff? Or do you just view it as a sign I've got to, I've got to apply some sort of load to the entirety of the, of the shoulder complex, including scapular thoracic muscles, rotator cuff muscles, deltoid pecs, lats, all of the above? How do, how do you then deal with a positive uh, scapular assistance test? That's that's the, the that's the big question, of course. Yeah, um, that's also a, maybe a bit a bit difficult question indeed, because like ten years ago, that would be the the goal of yeah, okay, let's let's focus on the scapula alone, eh? especially if you have a, a large pain reduction, because that's something that's uh, something we we use more and more. That's the uh, or the literature uses more and more. That's the amount of pain reduction during that test. Eh? If you have seven on ten. During a, a normal movement and during the scapular assistant test, you go to six. Then they say, okay, maybe the operator rotation is important, but actually not so much. It's just one point uh, reduction, so you don't really need to focus on that. But if it goes from seven to zero or to one, yeah, then that would be an idea. You only need to do something about scapula, and and all the rest isn't isn't that important. The good thing is that if you uh, if you want to do something about scapula, you need to you need to trigger the cuff. Um, that's the that's the the. The best direction, if you really want, if you if you're convinced that the scapula is a problem, so that's that's still a discussion. But if you're convinced that's the problem, you still need to need to use the cuff to do to do the whole work. 
Um, so if your patient has a pain reduction, you might think that it's all about the, your uh, scapular focus treatment, but actually it might be uh, your great cuff loading you've done uh, during your exercises. Because that's, I'm not sure, maybe we discussed that last uh, uh, chat also, I'm not sure, but if you want to challenge the scapula in, in uh, um, or you'll, if you want to challenge the, the trapezius and the serratus, well, you need to challenge the cuff, otherwise these muscles won't do anything. So these go, go together and you cannot separate them in, in any way. And so the good thing is in your rehabilitation process, uh, from the start that you start moving your arm, you're doing, you're doing it all, uh, uh, it all together. And there are only a few patients maybe that uh, really have a problem with um, scapular control, uh, even with, without any loading um, at all. And in these patients, it's, it might be suggested to do some uh, some, some first some uh, uh, orientation exercises, uh, some uh, um, uh, posterior tilt uh, activity, or some focus on the serratus, some push exercises, some uh, focus on the trapezius. Um, maybe in these specific patients, which there is immediately a lot of til tilting and winging, uh, just by, by moving the arm, even unloaded, uh, you might uh, consider that, but even um, um, even if you start with these orientation exercises, you will need to go towards uh, cuff loading quite fast, and um, then maybe the the uh, I think the progression might be a little bit uh, um, uh, how do you say that um, slower. Uh, the progression might be very low from low load, not not the highest load again. So that's something I I use. So I use the my progression, and you can maybe look at the scapula as some sort of uh, sign whether or not your cuff loading is is um, is adequate. Uh, I'm, I don't know whether I make sense, uh, uh, but I, it's it, from the moment that's that's what often is suggested now in literature. Also, maybe the, this scapular winging or or this this kinesis is some some sort of first sign that that the cuff isn't coping with the load. Uh, so maybe that if you increase your cuff loading that you can use, okay, whether or not the scapula is a bit controlled, you can still increase your, your cuff load. From the moment on the scapula is starting to, to wing or winging or tilting, that maybe your load on the cuff at that time might be too much uh, and the scapula is trying to, to fix the, the whole thing. Um, so maybe you can rather use it in your progression rather to, than that then say, okay, now I'm only doing, uh, uh, I'm only trying to activate some scapular things, or only trying to activate the cuff, because they're 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 one and they're they're one system. Yeah, no, that's that's very well said, and it comes back to like the famous, you know, scapular strengthening exercise is a scaption exercise, often in prone, and that's just a damn good rotator cuff exercise as well. So, why yeah. I, I don't get why we're wasting our time in trying to differentiate. We've got to do scapula-only exercises or scapula-corrective exercises unless, like you suggested, there is profound scapular dyskinesia even with unloaded movements and that person just has no control of their shoulder as a result of a very unstable or disconnected scapula. Yeah, in that instance, yeah. I can understand it. But for somebody who has a degree or two of dyskinesia potentially, then I just can't understand why we need to divide the two systems. It's, it's all the same. So. I agree. Yeah, that's um, that's the, the really anatomical view on rehabilitation, the structural view on rehabilitation we ha we've had for for decades, of course. And that's um, maybe if, if it's okay, I can discuss the the, the randomized trial we did in uh, 2013. Yeah. Go for it. Or actually, 
the randomized trial we published in 2013, but it was done in, I think, 2011 or something like that. And that was the time, really, that... Um, so, this uh, is, so, just, so this is your, your, this is your paper. What's, what's it called for anybody who wants to go and listen, uh, look it up? Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a good question. How how was this beautiful? It's ten years ago, Jared. <laughs> um, it's um, scapular focus treatment in uh, uh, supracromial impingement or something like that. Uh, in, uh, a randomized control trial. A randomized control trial, 2013. Uh, I think it's clinical rheumatology. It was published in. I'm 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 even that I'm not sure actually. <laughs> Um, well, anyway, that was that was part of my PhD at that time, uh, but actually it was published after my uh, PhD defense. But anyway, um, and at that uh, time we um, we were thinking, okay, let's um, let's take a grab of uh, impingement uh, patients uh, at that time, uh, and uh, let's divide them into a, a patients that have positive symptom modification tests and, and patients that do not have positive symptom modification tests, and with the idea that some uh, patients will have benefit of scapular treatment and the others uh, m maybe not. And so um, the modification test, the scapular assistance test, or something yeah, else? Scapular, scapular assistance. Scapular assistance. So uh, we divided them in. Okay, these patients have scapular assistance, a positive scapular assistance test, and the others did not have scap a positive scapular assistance test. And then we gave the, these patients with a positive scapular assistance test a scapular focused uh, treatment. So and I will explain immediately what we what we thought it was a scapular focused treatment. And the other group, well, we thought okay, let's let's just do the. Uh, the standard physical therapy for um, for impingement problems, and um, I will tell you right right away what this standard uh, conservative intervention was. That was actually some uh, mobilizations of the glenohumeral joint. Uh, we did some um, external rotation exercises with with a band. I don't know if you can uh, you can see that. It is really with a band. You can you can imagine yeah. some external yeah. rotation exercises, um, and then um, I have to think if we did anything more. I I'm not sure. Maybe uh, I, I think, I think you did a. Did you do an eccentric exercise as well? We did eccentric exercises, um, but but actually only in in uh, in, in almost all, all in the, in the zero uh, rest position. Okay. Um, and then some ultrasound, even I think that times. Um, <laughs> So that was the conservative intervention, and then for nine times, and then the other intervention was scapular focus. And uh, we first, for the scapular focus, we were, uh, um, that time we were, uh, uh, how do you say it, really close with the uh, kinetic control uh, concept uh, um, company, uh, which um, developed uh, the scapular orientation exercise. I think it's a, a paper from Sarah Motram who uh, published that as scapular orientation exercise, in which you um, you put your fingers on the coracoid and you need to uh, pull the, the coracoid away from your fingers, which may creates a posterior tilt of the scapula. And then you, by doing that, you activate your uh, um, uh, trapezius and serratus. But actually, we started with that exercise, but then we um, included a lot of movements uh, during this, this control. So the, 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 the instruction was, okay, if you do a posterior tilt, with that posterior tilt, now we're going to do uh, elevation, abduction, rotations. Uh, we're going to do stability exercises in, in, in uh, um, hand and knee uh, position. We're going to do uh, training with, with load, with bands uh, going going up, and um, also in prone uh, doing exercises, going to uh, uh, lateral, and well, a lot of a lot of uh, training uh, with uh, 
which we thought this is this is all scapula focused. And we saw in nine sessions that the conservative intervention they improved, but actually they didn't improve that much. Uh, but the scapula focused intervention they improved a lot. And um, the first thought was okay. Um, this is really a, a, a something that uh, emphasizes the fact that you need to classify your patient into having a scapular dyskinesis or not, and then you can steer your rehabilitation towards the scapular intervention. So that has the better outcome. And that made sense also, apart from the fact, two, two discussion points here. One um, is the fact that um, we also measured the scapula. We measured the scapular positioning. We had inclinometers and calipers, and we measured it all. And the, uh, the idea was, okay, if the patient improves due to our scapula-focused treatment, then probably also the scapula position or, or movements will, will change over time. Um, but with the measurements we did, we didn't see any change of the scapula uh, over these nine sessions. And I think the nine sessions were divided over, or I'm, 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 I have to recall this, I think it was one or two, two, uh, two interventions per week. So, And we saw that actually the scapular positioning did not change at all. Uh, over that time. So maybe, of course, our clinical tools weren't sensitive enough. That's that's one option. That's the first we thought then. Or uh, what we're doing actually doesn't affect, affect the scapular positioning at all, eh? and or it doesn't really matter at all, maybe also. And then, of course, the second, if we look at this uh, trial now, um, actually the intervention, the scapula-focused intervention is now, there are now uh, uh, great rotative exercises. They're, they're perfect rotative exercises. And uh, we might be training our rotator cuff patients. Yes, and the other the control group was just doing nothing. So that may, might be the reason for the big improvement. We don't know, but uh, actually it's it's funny how your interpretation change of the same study can in, can change over the years you look at it. So that's, um, yeah, that makes it sometimes, sometimes more complex. But I think we did we did a better and, and uh, loading of the cuff in the scapula-focused intervention than just in a standard intervention. That's our conclusion now, and the conclusion in 2013 was it's a it's a scapula you need to uh, you need to focus on, and and only maybe only in case of a positive uh, symptom modification test. But actually, that's a conclusion you cannot make because um, we didn't include the scapula focused treatment in the other group. So only then uh, that would make sense, maybe. But uh, we we didn't. So that's the the. Uh, research is never uh, it's never perfect, and uh, I think we yeah. need to admit that. that also, we if if we've done the research uh, ourselves, it has added something to the whole discussion. Um, uh, this uh, RCT, but uh, we must admit that uh, it, it wasn't perfect, and that the, our interpretations at that time uh, might not be the best interpretations. But uh, who says our interpretations now, uh, Jared, are the are the best? I don't know. <laughs> we just uh, work with the things we have uh, at uh, at that time. Uh, that's the only option we have. Yeah, no, I think that's really honest of you to to say that a lot of a lot of people stick to their opinions regardless of what the actual data suggests. So so that's that's funny to sort of track the interpretation of the same data set over the last ten years, and it, and now so you were the lead author in that, and now it's essentially maybe we had the best rotator cuff strengthening exercise in the scapula focus group as opposed to the scapular focus is correcting scapular kinematics, which didn't do in your paper. And there's been a number of control, randomized control trials since then, and also a couple of systematic reviews. And it, they very rarely, I think, I don't think I've really seen any good randomized control trials that show a substantial improvement in scapular kinematics after 
a scapular focused treatment. Although pain and function improve and, and sometimes improve better than a general strengthening regime in the short term, but that's often lost by sort of 12 weeks or, or even earlier sometimes. So, so can I say, based on your paper and then based on papers that have come out since then, that the resolution or the improvement of scapular dyskinesis is not required to improve pain and function? We don't have any evidence to say otherwise. <laughs> um, so it's, I'm, I, I'm not sure. I think you can, I, in my clinic also, I see a lot of patients with um, scapular dyskinesis and uh, rotator cuff issues, which are uh, rehabilitated towards the rotator cuff problem and they get better. And at the end, they go home with, with the same scapular dyskinesis, but they're, they're okay. So it's, uh, it's, it's really not um, the, the holy grail, I think, uh, indeed. And it's, it, it might be, might be either uh, an, an, a movement pattern that's just different between, uh, between people. Like we, we have different way of walking. We have different way of, uh, of moving our, uh, our scapula. Or um, it's it's yeah it, it might be a thing, but actually, um, and, and that's the whole idea about about the scapular focused treatments. Actually, they they make sense in 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 reducing pain because the best that's that's the thing I said in the beginning. The best scapular focused treatments are those who activate the cuff the most. Because otherwise, you cannot have a scapular focused intervention. So either you have pain reduction and your scapular focused treatment was a great uh, rotator cuff activity, or you don't have pain reduction, but then maybe your uh, scapular focus treatment didn't make sense because you weren't loading the cuff in the right way. So it's the, the, the scap scapular focus treatment is defined by a good cuff activity. And, and that just, well, if, if you go from that, go from there, then it's, it, it's um, a waste of time to discuss all the differentiation need. So, you can you can discuss that for years, but actually it's a, it's one system in our body, and the, the the one only works when the other activates. So we 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 need to let that go, I think, and we can still use it, I think, to to track progression. Maybe maybe there is something going on with the uh, with the load uh, with the load capacity, and what I said earlier on. Maybe there's something on with the load uh, capacity, and we can use the scapula as some sort of uh, trigger. And that reminds me of the of the papers from. Uh, um, uh, Meriette Muller eh, about uh, the, the prediction of shoulder pain when there is scapular dyskinesis going on, where her suggestion was also okay, maybe the scapular dyskinesis is like the, the um, how did we say that the, the bird in the, the canary in the mine? Eh? Um, yeah. it's, it's the first sign, uh, but it's not the, 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 canary, the canary is not the problem <laughs> in the mine, yeah. it's something yeah. else a problem, but it's yeah. a first sign, maybe it's something that can give you an idea of, okay, my, there might be something going on, but that doesn't mean you, you just need to uh, replace the canary and it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's solved. Yeah. yeah, and that, that's exactly right. It's, it's not the scapular dyskinesis in isolation. It's when it's coupled with something else. But I like your point in that maybe a scapular dyskinesis is revealing something about the strength of that person's shoulder. And maybe it could be a trigger or a sign that we need to improve that person's strength and conditioning. However, it may not correct that scapular dyskinesis and the trigger may always remain. So that's something that we just may have to, to deal with. Okay, that's, well, so that's I, think, I think we can, oh, do you wanna say something? Yeah, well, it's, just, it's, uh, 
Um, we, we see that in, in swimmers, for instance. Eh? A lot of swimmers have scapular dyskinesis at baseline. But if you put them in the water, you let them train for, for an hour, then scapular dyskinesis is, is really increasing in incidence. Uh, so uh, they go from like 20% scapular dyskinesis prevalence to 80% at the end of training. So there is indeed a, a relation with, with, with the presence of scapular dyskinesis and the loading of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's more important than, than saying, okay, it's, uh, it's, there is someone to blame or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. So, so fatigue and load can really sort of make the scapular dyskinesis far more prominent. But again, yeah. we don't have to correct the dyskinesis, we correct the load, right? So it's, it's about getting yeah. the focus in the right place. And this is the key point. It's focusing not on the dyskinesis, but on the load tolerance of the system. And I think, I hope we can make that point clear for everybody. Um, okay, so let's let's move on from that because we're pretty we're pretty clear on that, and I feel like we're we're beating a bit of a dead horse there. But as we discussed a moment ago, we, it's clear to us and clear to a lot of people in the shoulder community, but, but, but the clinicians at large, we still tend to focus or, or on that scapular dyskinesis factor. So we're beating a dead horse for a reason. So what about what about just quickly uh, before I take up too much of your time, manual therapy. So, so manual therapy for, and I'm going to, I'm going to direct this more towards the scapula. I know there's not a lot of literature on that, but just as a hypothetical or a conceptual point, manual therapy directed towards structures that are meant to be causing the scapular dyskinesia, like a tight pectoralis or a tight trapezius or a tight levator scapulae. And I say tight in inverted commas. And then what about taping? Does taping have a role to play in the management of people with a scapular dyskinesia, number one, or people with subacromial shoulder pain or rotator cuff-related shoulder pain? What do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, well, from a, from a research point of view, as you, as you mentioned, it, it will be difficult to give clear uh, and strong recommendations for now because it's, uh, it's, it's very complex. It's like... Our trial in 2013, we're now uh, changing the, the rationale uh, 10 years later. So that's, that's the same for uh, the, uh, the use of, of manual therapy, because if you do a trial, um, you will be doing several things together with the manual therapy. And then if the patient gets better, we, all, we, we never know what really know what, what was the reason for the patient getting better. But of course, there is a, a clinical rationale. And um, if a patient has a scapular dyskinesis, if a patient has a positive symptom modification test, scapular modification test, and you think, okay, um, it might be important. Uh, we don't say it's scapula to blame, but it might be important to include the whole, uh, the whole shoulder, the whole load training. But really, this patient has a lot of um, um, uh, tilting and, and a lot of internal rotation. Scapula is really very protracted, and it's uh, in that case also related to uh, the patient's job, for instance. He's, a, he's an office worker and he's always in that position. Then you might assume, okay, maybe this patient has a, has a tight uh, pec minor or a tight uh, levato scapulae or a rhomboid. It's, it's an assumption, of course. So you, we don't know that, but you, you might assume that, uh, and that might play a role in uh, the whole scapular positioning. It might play a role in the, the position of the cuff then, uh, so maybe the cuff will have more issues in that position. So in that case, from the clinical rationale, you might say, okay, maybe in addition to, in addition to the exercise therapy, 
uh, maybe some uh, pec minor stretching or levator stretchers, the stretchings might be uh, beneficial. And if we look at the, at the trials we do have, because for instance, in, in our trial in 2013, we did also these stretches, uh, by the way, in the scapular focus treatment, we did a levator stretch, pec minor stretch and rhomboid stretch as home exercises, all three. And um, we had we had, <clears throat> we had the effect, so we could you could also say it's, it's due to the manual therapy that we have the, the effect. We, we we don't know that, uh, but from a clinical rationale, that it might make sense. From a research point of view, we don't know actually. Um, and uh, if if research reveals some success, it's it's mainly short term. Uh, the results uh, we don't know whether it has any long term effects. If the patient keeps on doing his job, uh, and you can keep on stretching it manually, but I think uh, a lifestyle uh, um, coaching would be more beneficial in that case, and and uh, some training that the patient can 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 do uh, his job better might be a lot of uh, more interesting. But I can imagine it can have some um, additional um, additional effects and maybe uh, also in um, increase compliance a bit. This is maybe a difficult one because I see that that's that's not this is not research I'm I'm, I'm telling you but it's more uh, if, if I compare it, it's a lot of discussions with me and my colleagues doing shoulder patients that we a lot of, a lot of them uh, do uh, really do active treatment alone and um, and some of them do like 50-50 manual therapy with with active treatment and we see on some somehow that the compliance of the patients there is also manual therapy in, is often larger, is often bigger than than in the in the active therapy alone. Maybe it's only in the Belgian population. I don't know, but somehow they uh, uh, the patient feels often more. Um, uh, there's more attention on them, uh, and they, they they feel more understood when there is also some some passive intervention, and they uh, that gives them a lot of trigger to keep on exercising. And if if that's the case in your patient, and everything is good as long as they keep on exercising and. Uh, also, maybe manual therapy, maybe taping. Uh, maybe taping is something that a patient needs as a as a reminder that he needs to exercise. And if it's useful as a reminder to to exercise, it's great. But I don't think we can imagine we can uh, assume that the taping will be uh, the uh, the holy grail, the, the golden bullet in his rehabilitation process, because that doesn't really make make sense. Um, that a tape will will do the thing. Also, from research in, in shoulder pain patients, taping is. Uh, is always had uh, either no results or a short-term uh, result, um, and the short-term is really after taping, not not the day afterwards. So it's really after after the hours or the minutes after taping. So um, you can imagine the, the the placebo effect there also, of course. Or yeah, and it all, it all, yeah, it also yeah. just affects pain as well. So it's not really improving function or changing mechanics or normalizing movement or anything like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not, not only a placebo effect, you can also have some uh, um, uh, input there uh, towards the, the somatosensoric um, uh, cortex uh, by, by using that tape. So it's, it might have a, a pain inhibition effect, um, but it's, it's all good as if, if, the, if this triggers a patient to, to, um, to exercise, I think. Yeah, I think that's a very good moderate in, interpretation of all of that, you know, because it's, 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 it's a bit of a... It's a bit of an emotional discussion these days amongst therapists in terms of manual therapy and taping and all of these adjunct passive treatments. But potentially there is a role and maybe if it reduces pain and, as you suggested, improves compliance and then encourages people to move on with their exercise, 
we don't need to talk about the mechanism of action and the neuromodulation or neurophysiological effect of all of this stuff. I think the key message here is exercise is probably the champion of the treatment or the central point of the treatment, and other things may just come and go. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, it's it's big. A lot of patient specific. If you use uh, a manual therapy or taping or, or other things, because it can, uh, for instance, it can increase compliance. But on the other hand, um, there's a, there's also the, the other side, of course, that in some patients we don't want to uh, create too much dependence on the, on the therapist also. So we want to, to make them, um, uh, to, to have self-efficacy of the patient. We want to make them dependent on their own. And if we do too much or, or we emphasize too much on the manual therapy, the patient might think, okay, he's, he's treating me and I'm doing a little bit of exercises also, but I'm, he's treating me. And that's not the, the way we want to go, but that's really patient-dependent, I think. Some will need that and encourage them to train, and others, it's, it's maybe too much, and you need to reduce it to, to focus on the intervention to make sure they're not de- too dependent on, on you. But that's yeah. the, the, yeah. the, the great exciting thing of every patient is different uh, in your practice. Yeah, and this is what patient-centered care is all about. <laughs> you've got you've to use what you've got in order to help that person in front of you. And just as long as you're doing things for the right reason, you're not creating any dependencies and, and reducing self-efficacy, which you suggested, then I'm okay for you to use what you want to use as long as movement is the champion of the regime. I can't even remember the last time I put tape on somebody's shoulder. It would have been yeah. many, many, many years ago. So anyway, I think, I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there. You probably got to get to work or go for a cycle or walk the dog or whatever you've got to do. Uh, so, so thank you for having, <laughs> that's good. Thanks for having another discussion with me about the scapula. Uh, I hope some people get some value out of it and I'll direct people towards uh, your paper from, 2013. I think it might be very interesting for, for everybody to have a read of that. So thank you, Philippe, and enjoy your summer break. Thanks, Jared. It was very nice to talk to you and a very good discussion, I think. Very important one. Yeah. So, cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Shoulder Physio Podcast with Philippe Struff. If you want more information about today's episode, check out our show notes at www.shoulderphysio.com. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to follow and subscribe on your podcast player of choice and leave a rating or review. It really helps the show reach more people. Thanks for listening. I'll chat to you soon. The Shoulder Physio Podcast would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded from the lands of the Ugamba people. I also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which each of you are living, learning and working from every day. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia.